For the last several weeks now, we've been studying through the book of Ecclesiastes. In the first six chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has been reviewing his life, and he's been talking about the pointlessness of everything that he's done. And really, he started out on a mission, a ministry, if you would, from God, to get everything he could out of life, to enjoy life to its fullest and have as much fun and as much pleasure as he could, to show the world and to show us how pointless that type of life is apart from God. And so Solomon's been saying here, and look, Solomon lived a very successful life in the eyes of man. Solomon, of course, the wisest man who ever lived, when he is anointed king, God comes to him and says, I'll give you anything you need or anything you want. And he could have asked for power, he could have asked for money, he could have asked for all kinds of things, but he asked for wisdom. And so God gave him wisdom, and through his wisdom, he acquired a great amount of wealth. He was the wealthiest man to ever live. You, you uh, for, equate for inflation and all those other things, he's the wealthiest man to ever live. He brought Israel to its golden age. He built the temple of God. He built palaces and forests and all kinds of things. And so you look at Solomon's life, and humanly speaking, he was incredibly successful. And here's what he's telling us as he kind of brags about what he's done in his life. He's telling us, hey, I'm better than you. Just, I'm prettier than you. I'm smarter than you. I have more money than you. I'm more powerful than you. And I'm, I'm better than you will ever even imagine to be. I have bigger houses. I have bigger yards. You'll never accumulate what I've accumulated. My, my house is so big, it took 14 years and 150,000 men, 153,000 men to build the thing. He goes, when I finish that, I've been houses for all of my wives, all 700 of them. Plus, I got 300 girlfriends. I got 1,000 women in my life. And I'm like, you are crazy, Solomon. You are nuts to do, try to deal with all that. Because you know what 700 wives mean? 700 mother-in-laws. I don't know, wise man, my foot. But he's like, man, I've, anything you could have ever wanted, anything you could ever desire, I've done it. You will never get to the point that I've gotten to. You will never do anything that I've done. And even if you try, you'll never do it as good. You will never be as successful, never be as powerful, never be as wealthy, never be more entertained, never throw bigger parties. I have done it all. And then he goes on to say, you know, you can do nothing on earth that's not a repeat of something I've already done, and you're not going to do it as good. He starts to outline his parties that he threw. Has parties that last seven days a week, he has these parties. 20,000 people in attendance. Enough food to feed all these 20,000 people. Enough wine that they're shutting down vineyards because they're, they're going through it so quickly. And he's having these seven days a week. And then he goes on to there and start building things. He plants forests. He plants national parks. And in chapter 7, he kind of goes from everything he's done and the, the pointlessness of it all. And he kind of stops and says, now I'm going to teach you some lessons I've learned through all these years I've done. He's an old man. He's beyond us. He has everything. He's attained everything. He's spent his life pursuing, and he's, he's chased everything we're currently chasing, except he actually acquired it, and now he's got some wisdom for us. And in chapter 7, he finally shuts down the whole life is pointless, life is meaningless, life stinks, and he starts saying, okay, now, since, since you're young and, and I'm about to die, let me try to teach you some things. Let me try to impart some, some wisdoms to you. And, and maybe you'll hear these lessons. Maybe you'll learn these lessons. Maybe you won't. 
Maybe you'll heed my advice. Maybe you won't, but I have to try. I have to teach you what I've learned through my entire life of living. And so let's, let's go in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting in verse number 1. Solomon begins to unpack these lessons he's learned in life. And here's what we're going to do. We've been doing this all through the book of Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes doesn't lend itself to a point one, point two, point three kind of outline. So we're going to, like we've been doing, we're going to read a verse, look at the point. Read a verse, look at the point. So starting verse number 1. Solomon says, A good name is better than precious ointment. Now we're going to stop right there. The word ointment there, in the Hebrew, it literally means cologne. He says, A good name is better than smelling good. Now, I've been around some people who don't smell good. Sometimes you can disagree. You have been stuck in a confined space with someone who stinks. Like, I don't care how good their name is. They need some cologne, amen. But here's what Solomon's saying. He's saying it doesn't matter how much you work on the outside if your character stinks. Doesn't matter how, how pretty you are. Doesn't matter how attractive you are. Doesn't matter how much you work on the outside if your character is terrible. There are some things you can do to make yourself more attractive. You can go to the gym and work out. You can work out six days a week, seven days a week. You can uh, put on makeup. You can, you can have surgery to make yourself look better. You can go to a tanning bed. You can diet and eat all types of veggies and do whatever you can to make yourself look better. You can drive a nice car. You can buy a nice house. You can wear the right types of clothes. There are things you can do to improve your outside. But what Solomon is saying is who cares how good you smell if when your name is mentioned, people roll their eyes? Who cares how good you look on the outside if when people think about you, they think you're garbage? Here's what he's saying. Stop focusing so much on the outside. And look, in our, especially in our culture, in the, the American culture, everything is focused on the outside. Everything is focused on how you can look. I mean, people pay for shoes. They'll pay three, $400 for sneakers. And I'll be honest with you, they are ugly. I mean, some of these Air Jordans, like, I paid $500 for these. I'm like, you're an idiot. Those are ugly tennis shoes that if you get scuffed, you're upset because you scuffed your tennis. Tennis shoes are meant for getting scuffed. They're meant for playing basketball, but people, they do, why? Because they want people to see, I paid, I paid this money for these shoes. I'm just saying, you're an idiot. You know, I could have bought for $500 a whole lot of shoes, not just one pair, and I'm afraid to get dirty. But we are so focused on the external. And we're coming up on Christmas, and 90% of the stuff that's on TV that we want, the, the stuff that we're trying to get is so people can see how, how good we are, how fancy we are. We want nice clothes, nice shoes, nice hair, nice makeup. We want all these things so people can look on the outside. Solomon's saying, don't focus so much on the outside. Work on your character. Work on treating people good. Work on, well, work on having manners. Sometimes I feel like the older generation, like we've lost manners in our culture. People don't say thank you or plea unless you work for Chick-fil-A. And then you can't even say thank you. It's my pleasure. But, you know, people, don't, people aren't, aren't kind anymore. You know, you hold a door for somebody, and they don't say thank you. It's like they expect it. It's like, well, you're supposed to hold the door for me. It's like, well, next time I'm going to slam it in, slam in your face. And you see how much I hold it for you. But, you know, even kids, and look, I'm not talking, my kids too, I have to get on them every time. I'll ask them a question. Oh, yeah. What? Oh, yes, sir. What happened to saying yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am? It's just, Solomon's saying, hey, don't worry about your shoes. 
Worry about your character. Be a hard worker. Show up when you're supposed to show up. Be where you're supposed to be. Treat people with dignity and respect and honor. And we know this true because, look, you look at the people who are just a generation above you. Most of us, we don't admire their big house or their fancy car or their, their big yard. We admire their character. We admire what people think about them. For instance, Danny Wade, the other a couple weeks ago, he, he was here. He helped us paint the, the, the foyer. His son Jerry showed up, helped us paint. For three days, he came, took off work to come help us paint. And I asked him on, on the second day, I thanked him, man, I really appreciate you coming out here. I said, you know, why, why are you taking off to come out here? And here's why he said, he didn't say, well, because the church needed help, because y'all are, are bad painters and you need it. Here's what he said. He said, because I wanted to spend time with my dad. When I'm old, and not that you're old, Brother Danny, but when I'm old, been married 60 years, I want my kids to paint so they can be with me. That, that says a lot about a father. That's the type of character. That, well, I'm just using them as an example. I know, I mean, I, I, we got so much examples in here that we just, that, that's what you want. You know, I'm not saying, man, I wish I had Danny Wade's bank account. I don't know what his bank account is. I don't care what his bank account is. But I want my kids to love me when I'm an old man, like his kids love him when he's a middle-aged man. Because he's not old. He's a young guy. Thinks he's a young guy, amen? But that's what we want. We, we want character. That's what Solomon's saying. He goes, why are you spending all your time and all your energy and all your focus on the externals and you spend no time on the inside on what really matters? Focus on the inside. Focus on building relationships. Focus on your character. Then he moves on. He's going to say something that's, that's kind of shocking, but we've got to go through it. Finishing up verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, th this guy who has lived deeply, has been successful, has acquired everything that most of us would love to have, he says, why don't you quit worrying about the external so much and start looking on, working on the inside, and what if instead of looking the part, we began actually being the part, and then he moves on and says, you know what's better than the day you were born? The day you die. Now, that's just one of those things we look at and go, What? You know, who's like, man, I, I, we all celebrate our birthday. And I know we don't celebrate our death day because we're not here. But, you know, we, we all celebrate our birthday, and birthday is a celebration. You know, births are about potential. Births are about what we, what we can accomplish. When my kids were born, I was there for every single one of them, and I loved them the instant I saw them. And when they were born, I had so many dreams and, and desires for them. And it's a magical, joy-filled moment when a newborn is born. But once they're born, you dream about what their life is going to look like. And I have hopes and dreams for them. I want each one of them to love God deeply and passionately and serve Him and love other people and, and be good, godly people of society. And we've got these dreams for them, and birth is all about potential. And we look at death as an end. But for the believer, death isn't about tragedy. Death is about fulfillment. As a believer, in the moment that I die, I receive everything God has promised to me. I receive everything I've been longing for. I receive everything I've been waiting on and hoping for and looking for. And my faith becomes sight. And all of my desires and all of my longings are finally fulfilled at that moment and fulfilled for the rest of eternity. 
Everything I've been looking for, waiting for, living for is given to me, and I'm restored to my heavenly Father. Birth is about potential, but for the believer, death is about fulfillment of all the promises of God. And that's hard for us to grasp, and it shows how idolatrous we are, how sinful we are, because we look at death as a tragedy, as a terrible thing. You know, I'm, I'm 40. If, if I got in an accident and died on the way home, it would be looked at as a, as a tragedy. Here I am, a youngish, youngish man, three kids, beautiful wife, and they're all left behind. And I'm not saying I, I, I want to go early. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them graduate college. I want to see them get married. I want to walk Lexi down the aisle. I want to have grandkids that I can spoil and let them do things I wouldn't let their parents do. I want to experience all these things. I want to be a grandparent. I want to grow old and gray with April and at 90 years old sit on the, on the porch holding hands and still grossing out the kids. I, I want to achieve all those things, but instead of focusing on the, all those things and the things that would be lost if we died early and we, we focus on things we didn't get to do, we should focus on all the things we did experience all that we were able to enjoy. You know, I've, I've loved an incredible woman for over 20 years. Not a lot of people can say that. I've, I've seen all three of my kids born. I've seen all three of my kids accept Christ as their Savior. I've been able to see them grow up and turn into somewhat decent people. They've still got, they still got room to grow, but don't we all, amen? But what if instead of going, oh man, he was robbed, what if we looked at it and said, look at all he got to experience. Look at all the blessings that God gave him while he was on earth. And that's what makes us so sinful because we don't comprehend how good God is to us every single day. We focus on the tragedies of life and ignore the everyday blessings. You know, every single day, there are over 400,000 flights worldwide that take off and land safely. No one praises God for the 400,000 flights that go with no, no hiccups. They let one plane fall from the sky. We're like, why would God do this? We get angry at the tragedy. God, why did you? And he's like, 399,999 just landed safely, and you don't care about them. You're concerned about the one that didn't make it. So many of us view death as our enemy. And Solomon says, death isn't your enemy. Death is better than birth. Death, for the believer, is the real beginning. Death is the beginning of an adventure. Let's look at what he says again in next in verse number two. He's going to kind of keep on this. He goes, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Now, if you had the chance tonight to go to a party or go to a funeral, most of us would rather go to a party. No one's going to say, you know what, I think I want to go cry. I'm going to go to a funeral for a while. It's just something I like to do. We like to have fun. We like to enjoy life. And who wants to be sad? But we all want happiness and joy and good times, and that's how we're made. But Solomon tells us it's better for us when bad things happen than when everything is going well in our life. And here's why. His reasoning are bad times make us look at life. Bad times make us examine how things are going. Bad times make us reevaluate our relationship with God and see how things are between us and God. We, we look to see how our earthly relationships are. 
We look and see if we're reaching our goals. We, we look and see if we're living for his glory. No one ever has, who has everything going their way, who's happy and healthy, and they've had no tragedy. And man, just life's butterflies and bluebirds and everything's great. Nobody who has that type of life looks at their life and goes, I wonder if everything's okay. I wonder if everything's good between me and God. Because we, we don't think about it. But tragedy comes. Difficulties come. Pain comes. And we think, I need to get with God. How's my relationship with God the Father? See, Solomon says the house of mourning is better than the house of joy. You know why? Because it makes you think. It makes you check your relationship with God. The wise man walks into a funeral and, yeah, he mourns, but he also thinks, one day that's going to be me. How do I want to be remembered? What do I want people to say about me the day that I die? He begins to take stock of his life, and Solomon says, I've, I've been to a lot of good parties, but it's the funerals where I grew. Then he keeps going to verse number three. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. So he kind of wants to stay on this idea of sorrow and frustration and grief and death being how we see ourselves clearly. Look, whatever your iniquity is, whatever your besetting sin is, whatever you struggle with in times of frustration, in times of pain, in times of grief, those are the things that boil up to the surface. If you're an impatient person, let frustration come and your impatience is going to come to the surface. You struggle with anger, let grief come and let pain come, and those are the things that are going to come up. You battle with lust or violence or, or whatever you struggle with, nothing brings it to the surface quicker than hardship, quicker than difficulty, quicker than pain. And God designed us that way so we could see where we're failing and work on it. So we can see, oh, here's that, here's that issue again. i got to work on that. I thought I had it beat. I thought I had it under control, but I need to get back with my relationship with God. So Solomon's saying, listen, quit railing and shaking your fist at God when things go wrong because it might just be his mercy towards you that he allows these things to be revealed in you so you can work on them. It's a bad thing when the doctor just treats the pain because when he's just treating the pain, it's because he can't cure the disease. So sorrow brings up all these things we need to deal with and we are forced to deal with them so we can heal from them once and for all. And look at verse number four. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. So sorrow, grief, frustration, anger, death, these are all things that God uses to grow us, to reveal the issues of our heart that we have to deal with. And he brings them to the surface so we can do business with them. So we can deal with them once and for all. Without these things, maybe without the pain, the grief, frustration, we may never see our shortcomings. We may never see where we're failing and where we're coming up short. And so he allows these things to reveal our weaknesses to us so he can work through us. But then he continues. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Sorrow Grief, pain, they come to all of us. No one's going to escape it. No one in this room and no one in the world 
is going to get through life unscathed. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to have pain. We're all going to have difficulty. The wise person surrounds themselves with godly men and women who will pray for them, who will protect them, who will encourage them during difficult times. The fool, when pain comes, when frustration comes, when difficulties come, they run to the bar. They go to the porn site. They go to any other place to numb their pain. They ignore the pain and try to numb it. They use mirth to cover up the pain. So instead of running to Jesus and allowing him to operate, allowing him to break down, allowing him to grow and work in our life and reveal the things that we need to deal with, the fool pretends there is no pain. They numb their reality with whatever sin they think will help. They try to find fulfillment in anything else other than Jesus. New gadgets, new clothes, whatever it is, new pleasures. Something happens, pain comes, and problems are revealed. And instead of dealing with it, they try to numb it. Solomon says that's foolish. He said it's foolish to just numb the pain. Because if you're just numbing the pain, you're not dealing with the disease. And if you don't deal with the disease, it'll kill you. If you're treating the pain and not dealing with the sickness, the end is death. But then Solomon continues in verse number five. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Now Solomon's already given us some, some wisdom in this chapter, some things we need to understand. He goes, it's not what's on the inside that matters. It's not all what's on the outside that matters. It's what's on the inside that matters. You need to spend more time on your inside than spending on your outside. And he goes, hey, listen, death isn't our great enemy. Death is a fulfillment of everything we were created for. And you know where I've learned the most? I've learned the most in sorrow and strife. And then in verse 5, he goes, you know what I'm most grateful for? Of all that I've acquired, of all that I've accomplished, of all that I've done, the, most thing, the thing I'm most grateful for are real, true friends who aren't afraid to walk into the throne room and say, Solomon, there's a problem, and the problem is you. He says the thing he's most thankful for is men and women in his life who loved him enough, had the courage to say, there's an issue in your life. We need people in our lives that love us enough and care for us enough, and want to help us enough that they can come to us and lovingly, in a, in a very loving manner, say, you've got a problem, and you need to deal with it. Otherwise, it's going to kill you. Sometimes sorrow, grief, and pain are because the actions of others, but sometimes sorrow, grief, and pain are self-inflicted. You know, a lot of us, we deal with self-inflicted wounds. You know, I've told this story before, but several years ago when I was building houses, I was trimming out a log cabin and was trimming out a piece of pine, a half-inch pine. I used a razor knife to do it, and so as I was cutting, I was cutting towards myself, and the razor knife slipped, and I slashed my arm. Got 18 stitches, and my arm cut a pretty good-sized vein because it was squirting. I was in the mountains by myself, tied a tourniquet on my arm, and I literally, this is when, when you, you know, the, I had a Nokia cell phone. Now, remember the Nokia cell phones? You couldn't, those things are probably still unbreakable. You could run those things over the Mack truck and not do it. And now you, you drop your iPhone from two inches and it shatters. But those Nokias, you could use them for hammers. I had a Nokia cell phone, and I called the rescue squad, gave them the direction. And then I literally, I called April to say goodbye. It's like, I'm, I'm in the mountains, I'm going to die. 
They finally got there, took me back to the hospital, sewed me up, gave me some blood, you know, because I lost a lot of it. And uh, I, I couldn't complain about anyone else. That was no one else's fault. That was mine. That was my self-inflicted wound. And I had a, a guy I worked with who came to the hospital and very lovingly, very kindly, very gently said, that was stupid. <laughs> yep, that was stupid. Got to learn from that. But you know what? I learned never cut towards yourself. Always cut towards someone else. <laughs> Don't cut towards you. Amen. But we, we need people who can come to us and say, hey, this problem is not someone else's fault. That's your fault. You've done this. You're the problem. And you need to deal with it. You're what's wrong. And none of us like it when that happens. We don't like to be confronted with our sin. But we need to be. He says we need to praise God for great friends who are not afraid to get in your face and call you out on your sin. Wise people surround themselves with people who are wise and strong and love them enough to help them but not fools. Fools surround themselves with people who sing songs to them and encourage them in their sinful behavior and their wickedness. So, so which type of relationship are you building? Are you inviting people in your life who will encourage you and strengthen you and call you out? Or are you surrounding yourself with fools who no matter what you do, talk about how great you are and encourage you to keep going in your sinful behavior? What relationships are you growing you can't grow if people don't tell you where you're weak. You can't grow if you don't have friends in your life who will be honest. And there's one more piece of wisdom we're going to look at tonight. And we'll finish up <coughs> chapter 7 in a couple weeks when we're, we're back from Christmas and everything else. And there's a lot of wisdom in this, this next verse. And it's one that's probably the most painful to hear. But look at verse number 6. For as a crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Now you look at that like, what's he talking about? Here's what Solomon's saying. Wise people don't laugh when they're on fire. They put out the fire. Wise people don't laugh when they're burning. They do whatever they can to get help to put out the fire. Fools, they laugh at the flames. They don't think there's a problem. They don't think they're, they're on fire, so they don't care that the damage is being done. They don't care that the fire is destroying them. But he says, wise people, they recognize the danger, and they do whatever they can to put out the fire. They do whatever they need to do to get the help they need to get to put out the flames. One of the biggest reasons we don't recognize when we're on fire is because of our pride. We don't want to admit that we're in trouble. We don't want to admit that we may, may need help. And how, how many marriages could be saved early on when the, the, flame, the smoke started rising? Instead of laughing at the fire, one person in the, in the couple said, hey, there's a fire in our marriage and we need to deal with it. But instead they ignore it. They laugh at it, they let it go until it gets out of control and it destroys them. How many people are stuck in devastating cycles of sin and instead of dealing with the flames, instead of dealing with the fire, they pretend like there's nothing wrong. 
they pretend like everything's okay. Solomon says the, the wise man screams out, hey, I'm on fire and I need help. They don't laugh. They don't giggle. They don't pretend. They recognize there's a problem and they do whatever they have to do to get help. And here's the truth you need to understand. Every one of us have been burned because every one of us has been on fire at one time or another. There's no one in here who hasn't been on fire at some time in their life. And that's okay because Jesus came to get burn victims. Jesus came to help us put out the flames. Jesus came to help those who were in trouble. Wise people don't giggle when they burn, but fools do. The fool pretends that everything is great, even when their world is burning down because of sin. So we have to ask ourselves a question tonight. Are we wise or are we fools? What do you care about most in your life? Are you focused on the externals, the things people see, the things people can admire, the things people can point to and say, man, they're, they're a great person because look at how fancy they are and how nice they are and how good they are. Or are you focused on the inside? Are you focused on your walk with God, how you treat people, how you act with people, how people think of you? What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your money on? Do you care more about what's going on the outside or what's on the inside? Do you grow in your sorrow and your pain or do you get angry at God for allowing sorrow and pain? Do you have people in your life who love you enough to look at you and say, there's, there's a problem you need to deal with? Or do you surround yourself with people who just tell you how great you are? Laugh it up and say, keep going on. Do you recognize when you're on fire or do you ignore it? Solomon's got some lessons that we need to learn tonight. Let's be sure we learn them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.